I looked over the list of nominees and films, and outside of The Martian, I don't think I've seen anything. So <laughs> I'm not going to be that big a help in terms of <laughs> explaining the plot. <laughs> but I do have um, visceral knee-jerk reactions to a lot of these films and a lot of these performers. Mm-hmm. I think those those reactions are extremely valid. <laughs> most of the time they've been backed up, and I'll tell you, they were really, as far as I'm concerned, really backed up with Room, which we can get to. I, I have not seen all of them. I've seen a few of them. I have had the opportunity to see several of the uh, documentary and the live-action shorts that the lot. Yeah, so, I was so there too then. I have an advantage there. Yes, and I do want to, we will have a short section to talk about the shorts. There's three I haven't seen of the Best Picture nominees. And I've seen all of them. There's a handful of other films that are, have other nominations that I've seen, but I haven't been that diligent about it. I don't, I'm really kind of the anti-Oscar guy anyway. So. Well, I actually hope to take that title home with me. But, but <laughs> um, well, I'll go the other way. I love the Oscars. Me too. Me oh, too. All right. So we, it's, we know again. where we're standing. We're on the right side of the table. Yeah. It does seem like we're about as qualified as members of the Academy, though. Oh, exactly. I mean, in terms of the number we've seen. Yeah, more. most of the, most voters will you know admit anonymously, obviously, that they haven't seen most of the stuff. They, I mean, you know, wow. when magazines interview people about you know who are your picks and I'm obsessed with reading those articles and there's so many that are like well I didn't see this and this and this but I saw this movie and I like this movie and it's yeah if anything we're more qualified than a lot of the I'll voters in the academy <laughs> I'll buy that for and, and better looking I think the controversy over the lack of recognition for artists of color which is a traditional thing that's been going on for 88 years now is really, to me, just a symptom of the fact that the Oscars really aren't about quality, that it's a political game that is played. And those who are in the position to play it well, because they have money, studio backing, lots of friends in the industry, those people are going to have an edge over those who don't. And a lot of African-American filmmakers have traditionally been outside the Hollywood studio system. So this week on Arizona Spotlight, Chris gave an essay which had a similar point of view. I don't want to speak for you, so share with us what you think is the root of the issue. Well, I just feel that it's a symptom of lack of diversity in the film industry as a Absolutely. whole. Absolutely. So that when you t- attack the Oscars for being so white, really what you're doing is pointing out that the whole industry is mm-hmm. is not diverse. I made the analogy with the Confederate flag where it's a symbol of something deeper. It's actually bad math the when they throw the numbers out of the percentages because what that doesn't take into account is the number of people that are attempting to become filmmakers or actors. It, it, it's actually not that bad in terms of overall odds. If you are a person of color or, or a female and you want to go to Hollywood and make it in your chosen field, you actually have a higher percentage than a white male because of the pure numbers of white. For every... Uh, a thousand white males that are out there trying to do it. And I'm, I'm not uh, this, I'm, I'm treading, you know, carefully here because I'm not trying it's to okay. say poor white males. That's certainly not what I'm saying. It's to, just look at the actual numbers of people trying to get into the industry versus who makes it. And the problem is, is the discouragement from, you know, from kindergarten into going into those fields for minorities and women that 
don't have uh, the encouragement from or the resources or the resources yeah, the to pursue that. Started. And you know things like uh, unpaid internships in the industry. That's a huge part of it. Who can afford to go live in Los Angeles and work twelve-hour days minimum? And not get a paycheck. Well, that limits who is there in Hollywood. Yeah. So in terms of the numbers of people who go to Hollywood and try to make it, people want to point to the absolute figures of well, only 4% or 5%, but they're not looking at the numbers that are getting to Hollywood in the first place. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot to be said for it's a cycle. You know, if, if you don't see yourself being represented, not everybody's going to suddenly want to be, the you know, the person like, I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to you know, break through the walls, like a lot of people are just discouraged. They're just like, well, why should I go to Hollywood? They're going to ignore me anyway. And, and and that's actually one of the, the things that gets sort of covered up in this controversy is that it is actually a great time to be a woman or a person of color in going to Hollywood now and to feel discouraged out of this because of, you know, the numbers that are thrown out is going to just perpetuate the problem. Well, I think the fact remains, though, with women especially, that you see very few women directors that are getting films but know. how many how many women who want to be directors become directors in overall percentage compared to I mean it starts at the very bottom level of our education who's not getting uh, encouraged to to sort of take charge as a director a woman right now who who makes that choice this is a great time to go to Hollywood and 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 go for it. And I'd hate to see the this idea of like, oh, it's stacked against you being, you know, end up discouraging the already few women that, that make the attempt. It's an interesting perspective. And I think that there's, if I can coin a phrase, I just thought of a celluloid ceiling that's in place in the sense <laughs> that how many filmmakers get beyond student films yeah. Yeah. and are able to make something with backing and something that will actually be shown in theaters or distributed properly um, because that's a big hurdle to cross. And I think that I'm sure from your experience as a film teacher, Robert, you've seen that a lot of young people think that making films will be great. And once they find out what an incredibly backbreaking, hard experience it is, yeah. they lose their taste for it. That's part of it. The, the, just and also along those lines, the, the overall numbers I have, I have 20 uh, males for every female, I think, has been the average that's in that starts school. Overall, the, the women have been some of the, the best uh, students we've had that and, and they have had met when they finally meet with some success. They actually have realized the potential in there, even though it, it feels like they've always doubt. They're much more doubtful, a lot less confidence at the beginning. And I feel like this is this is an overall societal problem, not a Hollywood problem. I also look at the content of the films, though, and I see there just aren't a lot of stories that are women-based, and they're, uh, they're the girlfriend or they're the supporting, yeah. or you know, and that's symptomatic. Yeah. I won't argue with I, you that it's. Yeah, I certainly don't want to be excusing Hollywood. I mean, it's it's not it's not unique. It's not as if Hollywood is uniquely uh, patriarchal, and the rest of the society is, you know, feminist. It's quite yeah. the opposite, but. It's something to look at, definitely, and work to change. When I had the opportunity to interview Ellen Burstyn a while back, she said that the studio, when they offered her, Alice doesn't live here anymore, they offered her the chance to direct. She turned it down because she felt she wasn't ready artistically. It wasn't where she wanted to go. So they let her interview some directors, and they said, take a look at this guy who directed Mean Streets and see what you think. So she had a meeting with Martin Scorsese, and she said, um, there aren't many female characters in your films. In fact, I think in Mean Streets there might be one who has a significant scene. And uh, she said, what do you know about women? And he said, well, nothing, but I'd like to learn. 
and that helped turn the key for her into thinking that Scorsese was the right guy to take an attempt at Alice. And after watching Alice a couple of times over the last few months, I'd have to say it's my favorite Scorsese film. It doesn't even feel like a Scorsese film, and that's, I think, why I like it so much. Also indicative of what we're saying, just it stands out because of the lack of sort of women-centered pictures. And that has been the and history. And the women in that film get to explore a really wide range of emotions. I mean, just look at the way Alice interacts with her son. She, in the very same scene, she can be angry at him, she can be happy with him, she can be proud of him, she can be exasperated with him. This really wide range of emotion that's almost strained or surgically removed from the kind of entertainment you see on television, like where TV moms have one personality, they have one emotion set, you know, and so it's to see a film like Alice really opens you up to the fact that gosh, women don't get to do a whole lot. I mean, wasn't there a statistic, was that in the email that I forwarded to you all about most of the women who have won in the history of the Oscars have played either wives or entertainers? Yeah. Hmm. Lady Sings the Blues will get you an Oscar. You mm -hmm. know, something like that. Yeah. But the other female roles, where are they? Why isn't? Why aren't there more movies like Heart Like a Wheel? Did, did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be, uh, I'm going to be the devil's advocate uh -huh. again, but even in Alice... At the end, you've got you know the really unbelievably understanding, cute guy, Chris Christopherson, that steps in and saves the day. And yeah. we've seen that over and over again. An unmarried woman with Jill Clayburgh. You know, it starts out with somebody really striking out. You just on think her own. he's cute because of the beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, do you think Chris Christopherson is cute? Actually, he's ugly, but you know, in the oh. movie, he's good looking. He's and granite hue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he's an attractive man. Beard or no beard? I've seen him in person. He's, no. He was inside track. All right. How did the roles for women look this year? And are there any standouts? Do you think, you know, well, we're not, did, we're not, I'm not asking Charlie's about. Did Charlie get nominated? No. Uh, so, so, I know. But, I mean. Did it, you do not, the reading? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did. I, I was, but I, I forget, as you remember. I, well, I just thought of it because of what we're talking about with the, the type of roles that women get nominated for. And there we are with a very different type of role for a woman that people have commented on and noticed. and, and It's been a popular performance. I and, mean, and I haven't heard yet, anybody come out of that movie and say, oh, Theron really blew it. And yeah. yet no yeah. nomination at all. I, I don't know, but I have this wonderful fantasy in my head now that if she was nominated and if she did win, she should immediately scorch the top of her statue with an acetylene torch. <laughs> <laughs> At least rub the dirty uh, oil on it, yeah, on the head. Yeah, yeah. Oil, yes. yeah, but I like yours. It's more extreme. Okay. But I'm not talking about anybody's chances for actually getting an award this year. I'm talking no. about the roles. The type of roles. Can either of you mention a female role that's nominated this year that you think breaks the mold? Well, well you have Kate uh, Blanchett playing a lesbian. And, and Rooney Mara, sporting yeah. actress. Nomination. So that's it's that movie, Carol, is... The director, Todd Haynes, is good at taking these period styles and then injecting something very modern or transgressive into it, like race or, or mm -hmm. sexuality, or gay rights and stuff. And this, in this case, it's the 50s in New York, and yet it's a lesbian romance with all the melodrama that that involves. And I think she's extraordinary in it. I don't think she'll win. But mm -hmm. then there's also Saoirse Ronan, who plays, who's yes, very good. She's perfect. In Brooklyn. Yeah. 
And that was a Spike Lee joint. No, it's not. <laughs> it is very. I, I loved Brooklyn. Brooklyn was so much not what I was expecting from that movie. You know, I heard it was a tale of an Irish immigrant coming to New York. The story is just, it was so surprising to me. It wasn't at all what I was expecting. And I was really blown away by well, Sorcerer's Performance. What was it that you found surprising in it? Because it still sounds like an immigrant coming to America story to me. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't cliche at all. And, you know, this sadness that she felt. It was a homesickness, of in a sense. I haven't seen it, unfortunately, but it, I have heard the. It is uh, she's still torn between two men who kind of represent the new place and her her homeland kind of decision. Um, and so Chris Christopherson, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm sorry, somebody did make a joke online that Spike Lee must be really incensed that a film named Brooklyn that doesn't have any black people in it got nominated. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Understandably well, so. There's also Charlotte Rampling, who's a great actress, mm-hmm. and she was in 45, 45 Years. Mm-hmm. And Zardoz. Which is a very uh, dark, I difficult feel, film. Yeah, I feel if anyone's got the sort of sympathy vote uh, from the Academy, it, that she might be the dark horse. Although I hear, I, I understand Brie Larson's the front yeah, runner yeah. for Room, which I find personally, I think I might be the only person in America I find extremely unfortunate. I haven't seen the film, but, I, uh, oh. but what I'm hearing is that it's very like standard kind of melodramatic it, stuff going. I, she, she was your official pick on Arizona. Yeah, Spot. I think yeah. she'll win. I hate, sh- hate, hate, hated that film. Oh, uh, it was yourself. so standard melodrama. And the, the performance was very much look-at-me-act kind of performance, in my now, opinion. Now, you know this is not the one with Tommy Wiseau in it, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the, the, there, were no, there were no spoons in it. I, I mean, I was con- so confused. Uh, <laughs> and, but no, I, I went and, and, and I had actually took my class to this film, uh, my writing class, and almost everyone, uh, the students, really liked it. And, and I, I found it just sort of unabashedly Oscar bait kind of everything. The writing, the performance all felt contrived to uh, look at me kind of how amazing this uh, is on, on, on such a gimmicky level on, on just about every... They had great parts, but when, when they came to a hole, it really left me angry. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, part of it was, again, what, who got nominated and who got left out, the kind of thing. After seeing uh, Legend... And terrible title, great film, no no mention whatsoever in any nomination. Yeah. And to think, you know, and I was like, and 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 and, and so I, had, I I went and saw Room after the nominations came out. So part of it might have been that feeling, oh, the uh, the injustice of it all. I feel I feel like that really affects how I. That's why I try to see as many movies before the nominations come out as possible because I feel like it really affects my viewing because, especially if something that I love gets snubbed, watching something that got so many nominations. I don't I don't necessarily agree with Room. I actually did like Room, but I really am in the minority from what I understand, and I, I do recognize that, and and I and I recognize there were so many parts that I did like, but. Uh, I just the hype in, involved might have been a part of it. All of those things. The hype really does kill yeah. movies sometimes. Like it just, it really does affect you know how I feel about something. I'm I'm trying to think of an example recently in the last few years. I think that um, 
uh, the theory of everything was affected by that. Last year, I thought the strongest male performance was from Tom Hardy, but in Locke, which are, he's basically driving a car the entire film, and he's mesmerizing, and, and he got snubbed that year. And Eddie Redmayne in The Theory of Everything, I just, I was not impressed with that role at all. I thought it was a very showy part. Yeah. I think it's very... It's it's a very similar how I feel about Room. I, I felt like it was that, that look at me act kind of performance yeah, yeah. as much as anything. Although that one, I feel I had less acrimonious re, uh, reaction to because, well, it's, you know, Stephen Hawking in it and what's her so required some of that the fireworks <laughs> kind of performance. But this seemed like it was written for the sake of fireworks performance spectacle it, it, it felt like performance as spectacle screenplay as spectacle i thought the 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 antagonist in it was so completely one-dimensional and her performance is not bad it was just it was just it felt everything felt like it was you know had extra scoops uh, just to make sure we got it when i read about the plot i was like i'm not gonna like this movie and you know, <laughs> it's the same plot as Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, though, yeah, isn't it? It really it's, yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. But no one ways. here is as insightful. Okay. But well, I would argue that that's what wins Oscars. Exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Is the well, most, it's Lady Sing the Blues in it. The most contrived, yeah. the most mm-hmm. deliberate attempts to court Oscars often wins Oscars. Yeah. I think I was just so relieved it wasn't a biopic. I think that was. I just, I, there seems to be a real plague of them. This not year. not so much this year. Last year was the <laughs> yeah. worst. Last year it was literally like almost every single film I was can't a biopic. Remember that far back, but but <laughs> this year's not as bad. I, I don't. I wouldn't really call the Big Short a biopic. I wouldn't really call true. You know, the Revenant a biopic, even though technically it sort of is. But you know, it, it's there. It's not when like Spotlight is. You know, biopics. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps it's based on true events movies then, yeah. but yeah, yeah, really, I, I, like Bridge I, of Spies. Right. In biopics, you know, most people's lives don't have a, a simple goal-oriented plot. So biopics, are, you know, you, you tend to you, – you, they end up being a bit of hero worship, and mm-hmm. the best ones are going to be something where they really focus on a, on a particular moment, and, and that seems to elude a lot of filmmakers. Yeah. I think the most successful biopics are – it's either – Someone that's not that well known, you know, like still someone who contributed a lot to society, but someone who's not necessarily well known. Or if it is someone that's well known, it's played by some unknown actor, you know, like Marion Cotillard in Livian Rose, I thought mm. was very successful. Mm. Jeffrey um, Wright in Basquiat. <laughs> <laughs> One of your favorite films. Um. <laughs> but yeah, but if it's something, you know, then like. You know, I I did enjoy the Turing film last year though quite a bit. Uh, yeah, but, I like yeah. But uh, it did have a very good specific goal of, of well, let's beat the Nazis. Always a good goal. Mm-hmm. It works for it a turned lot of out to be uh, <laughs> historically inaccurate though, and there were a lot of criticisms about it. Well, that it distorted uh, Turing's life and made it much more simplistic and actually really made up stuff that didn't happen. Well, know? I'm of the camp where you never want to let reality get in the way of telling a good story. But uh. <laughs> well, I think that the charges that you're talking about have been leveled at pretty much every film based on someone's life, from Trumbo to Straight Outta Compton. Well, this was egregious, this though. This was I, I I haven't seen the film, so I'm not going to go any further. But oh. there was a lot of there was a lot of dissent. Well, I agree, and I I think it's something that Robert said that I feel very strongly about biopics is that or biopics. I'm never sure how to say that. Is <laughs> I think I've just been mispronouncing it. I think it is bi- biopics. I want to just re-record everything I've just said. No, you may not. You know what, guys? I just really love movies. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) 
But anyway, the story of Argo, which I don't know if you've seen the film, but it no. has to do with Canadians. Well, I, Jason and the Fleece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Freeing these diplomats from uh, when they, they took over the embassy in Iran in 79. In any case, the story in itself was interesting enough, but Ben Affleck and whoever else wrote the script had to jazz it up so that things were happening at the last minute that, you know, it was it was so suspenseful and... You know, the phone was ringing, and the two guys that were supposed to get the call had to get there at the very last second. And at the very end, they're escaping the airport, and they're about to be caught. And is none the plane going to get off the ground? None and, of that yeah. happened. And, but that's the thinking, is that you have to do that. The actual story was fascinating, and it could have been done in a be- better way. I'm sorry. And uh, <laughs> Don't say you're sorry, but just stop doing it. <laughs> when I point at things, just, I know it's hard, difficult. But. Anyway, so back up stop just a Stop pointing. Bit. Yeah, I know, but I, I feel the need. I'm producing. Yeah, I do not have the problem with with the rescheduling of facts yeah. uh, to for dramatic purposes. As someone who goes and pays money and wanting to get the entertainment value as well as the in- information, I love the idea. And with the biopics we were talking earlier, I, I just if I see something, I then do the research and find out what Turing was really like, et cetera. And, and if I didn't go get in the door in the first place, if I wasn't hearing that it was a good entertaining movie, if it wasn't a good entertaining movie and selling tickets, it, it would leave those people undiscovered and, and these stories undiscovered, I think, to a degree to a lot of people. Not to you, Chris. I mean, you're going you're gonna to do the research on your own. But I think it's, it's something, it's just a, you're going to call people in for two hours, spend their time. I think one of your first priorities is to entertain people as a filmmaker. Yeah, and the thing about Argo, too, is, um, you know, as much as I agree that the story itself was fascinating on its own, I mean, the very first time I saw that movie, when the plane took off and when they, like, made the announcement that they crossed into a different country, like, I started crying. It was like, a it, great filmic it, moment. Yeah, <laughs> it was It was really moving to me, and so, and it was very emotional, and I don't think that that would have happened necessarily. I, I think I, I been, cried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm half joking. <laughs> <laughs> I really did cry. Your point about looking it up and doing research reminds me of a funny story. After I saw Requiem for a Dream, I did some research of my own. And... <laughs> All right, but, so. I'm no, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't care what really happened. And, 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 and Salieri and Mozart were probably actually good friends. And, and But, boy, I would not have become the huge Mozart fan I am today if it hadn't been for Amadeus and, and, and seeing that movie and being really influenced in into really embracing classical music. I was a freshman in college at the time. And, you know, I, like most people at that age, I am classical music, whatever. But that movie really changed my life. And it was a biopic. But they had the secret. You've got to find a – it ends up being essentially a murder mystery – and with the priest as a detective uh, interviewing uh, Salieri as as sort of the suspect and witness of these events. And I think that's the right way to do a biopic. To bring it back to the 2016 Academy Awards, that sounded like I was being jerky. Hold on. <laughs> um, another film that's nominated for Best Picture and has got some other nominations attached to it is Bridge of Spies. And one of the common complaints I've heard. Don't get me started. Film, yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't seen it. But a lot of people are saying that it's a very dull film, that it that they didn't take enough license, mm. uh, the opposite of Argo. Thoughts? Well, uh, I did see the movie, and I'm not sure. I thought it was perfectly entertaining and good, 
but with those Spielberg touches that just drive me completely nuts. Uh, <laughs> the the, uh, the I'm just gonna just say one thing is the the um, the breakfast uh, at the hotel scene. This is Spielberg at his worst. So <laughs> so he we we've been with our main character and he's really hungry because he's been detained by the police and he finally gets back to the to the West Berlin and he goes to get breakfast and and he orders uh, wait for it two meals and two breakfasts and the the waitress of course oh, that's you really want two breakfasts and so again a big big Spielberg plot point that's got to be driven home for the audience and and so of course now. I go to breakfast a lot, and <laughs> and I often go with like many people, and and so there's several breakfasts being ordered at once, and we only have usually one waitress handling all of these breakfasts. But of course, to drive home this point of how hungry he is, it takes I believe four people to deliver his two breakfasts, <laughs> and 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 it's and it's just you can you can you haven't seen it but you can visualize what he's doing what Spielberg does in this right they, they all show a big cart and food and, and 50 plates and it reminded me of the worst film of all time always <laughs> the, now, the worst film of all time would actually be a very important film all you right know, Jewel Schumacher said uh, that the, the uh, <laughs> True. This worst Spielberg film of all time, okay. uh, which have you seen Always? Hook. Oh, Hook is terrible too. But Always with the with the shower sequence with Holly Hunter and and all the dirty firefighters and the towels. She and Richard Dreyfuss is handing out towels and 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 it's just like it's like please. Uh, <laughs> it's choose from Spielberg when it comes to schmaltz. Yeah, know? and it's just yeah, it's just those extra layers. When that came out as a Best Picture nominee, that was when some of the fury started inside burning a little bit. What with, year was that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that at all. Like was that always? Yeah, mid eighty, later eighties. Yeah, I don't remember 88, that at all. 87, 88. Well, I, you're I always get it confused with what dreams may come because don't um, get me started it was based on, on that a, movie. A guy named Joe. Yeah, it? it was a remake of a guy named Joe, but but it was a you know like a hack job. Yeah. I hate like after death movies anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here comes Mr. Jordan. <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Heaven right. can wait. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you see Bridge of Spies? Yeah, I did, and I enjoyed it. I have to agree about the Spielberg always has a moment where he just can't let things alone. Yeah. But overall I enjoyed the film. I it was a fascinating story. I'm surprised yeah. that people weren't entertained because to me, all the intrigue involved in first defending this Russian spy and and the process Spielberg actually makes a good political point about how we need people to defend what we've seen what everyone's against yeah which is this communist spy and then all the stuff in Berlin about how to negotiate with the um, the East Germans to get this uh, Gary Powers released and I like Tom Hanks in his later kind of you know older phase. I think he's I, just I more appealing. I, d I did enjoy the film quite a bit, but but Best Picture, I just it, it yeah. did not not compared with uh, films that got left off the list. I want to hear what Pam has to say because she loves movies. I <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy Bridges Spies. I did. Um, it, it, I I think it could possibly be in the Best Picture nominations. It, it's, it's one of those things where usually the Best Picture nominees aren't necessarily my favorites. It, it's usually my favorite films of the year are kind of hidden away in like the smaller categories, like a screenwriting nomination or like a documentary or something. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, maybe not Bridge of Spies. Maybe I wouldn't put Bridge of Spies in the Best Picture category, but well, I enjoyed I, it. I know it takes a long time to make a film, and a Spielberg film, of course, takes a long time to make even beyond that. 
But my reaction to not having seen the film but having seen the trailer is it's a Tuesday at the office for Stephen and Tom. Like, they could do that all week. They could do that all day, you know, make movies like that. Perfectly it seem adequate, like anybody's decent getting pushed. Yeah. I mean, is anybody getting pushed? I mean, Captain Phillips seemed like a role that pushed Hanks. I, I thought his reactions at the end were stunning and reminded me why he's a good actor. Yeah. But... I wonder if that's on display in a film I haven't seen and don't care about. Right. <laughs> but that's why I mean, it just it felt perfectly adequate as okay. a film. That's it, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, ah, adequate. Uh, but it, like, yeah, like Spielberg uh, at this point can do it in his sleep, and and I didn't feel any push. And I was you know surprised to see you know with the Coen Brothers' participation, I really felt I thought, boy, this could have been great if they had directed it. Um, that was my feeling. There was a point about Eddie Redmayne that I really want to go back and make. But <laughs> does anybody have anything to say about the Danish girl? I haven't seen, seen it. it. Oh, this it looks okay. like naked Damn. Oscar bait to me. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, Oscar bait and another exactly. film That's based it. on true events, right? Yeah. I, I'm just going to say this about Eddie Redmayne, and maybe it'll, I can put it in where you, when you were talking about him before. But the same year that he won the Oscar, in fact, the same time he won the Oscar last year, there was a film in theaters that showcased an incredibly terrible performance from him, and that was Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> Not a good film on virtually any level. An interesting film, and it makes me wish that the Wachowskis could kind of pull together all of their resources and their inspirations to make a film that will really score with an audience because I Jupiter Ascending missed that mark by a mile. Can but we talk Eddie, about the Wachowskis? Eddie, we can. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Redmayne's performance in that, though, was... I literally would have to use the phrase "god awful." <laughs> I mean, it was. He talked in a hoarse whisper. He seemed to not be taking it seriously. He had moments of pointless rage in the character that went nowhere. It was an absolute waste of time as a performance, and I I couldn't believe. And I didn't know who he was. And in the end credits, when I read his name, I thought that's the guy who just got the best Oscar like two days ago. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm still bitter because I I, I love I'm a huge Michael Keaton fan, and I really wanted Michael Keaton to win last year. And I was also that kind of added some bitterness to Eddie Redmayne winning too. Was mm. I saw who he took it away. Yeah, the uh, scene of Michael Keaton putting his acceptance speech back in his pocket was kind of heartbreaking <laughs> from that night. I don't uh, know how yeah, and he didn't get that. nominated for Spotlight either. Of all of the, the nominations for Birdman, I thought that was the one that it really deserved was yeah. Michael Keaton's performance. And the other ones, I also, again, felt too much fireworks. And look at me, look at me direct, uh, look, at, <laughs> look, at, look, look, no edits. You know, Oscar bait. Well, is it that same kind of trickery at work this year in films like The Revenant or Hateful Eight? I don't think there's trickery in The Revenant. I think that it's just very well shot. I mean, the thing that they're advertising is that, you know, it's all natural light. There was no other lighting tricks, and that's why it took so long to shoot. I think it's very straightforward. But a harrowing physical experience for the filmmakers doesn't translate to a good film. I mean, to me. Well, it is a good film, though. Well, it may be. But to me, that seems like one of those things that people sometimes say is like, well, it took them eight months to do it, and they were underwater and upside down the whole time. <laughs> well, you can say that about Waterworld, though, too. Nobody's arguing that <laughs> well, like, Waterworld's Waterworld classic. obviously influenced <laughs> to that joke. But I wonder sometimes if Revenant isn't getting an easy pass because it basically is survival porn. I would almost agree with that if I hadn't seen the film. But having seen the film, I it's it's gorgeous from beginning to end. The performances are outstanding and not just I'm not just saying this because I'm biased towards Tom Hardy but 
it just all the all the supporting performances. Leo's great in it. It's and there's the famous bear attack that keeps getting referenced. But yeah. when you watch that, you really do feel like how could they possibly have filmed that? Because it really looks like there's a bear just tearing a human <laughs> apart, and you just you don't understand how they how they did it. Well, uh, there's no arguing with Inaritu's abilities and craft and his his cinematographer's uh, work. His name is escaping me at the moment, but Emmanuel this Lebesky. Yeah, his yes. will be his th- if he wins, it'll be his third in a row, yep. which is will be yep. historical. Um, and and Gravity, I was enthralled with. I, mm-hmm. I I did enjoy Birdman, although I did again feel that uh, editing. I agree with Hitchcock. Editing is the essence of cinema, <laughs> and 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 they he tried it with Rope, and and I felt that this is you know he should have watched Rope and 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 said hey maybe I'll put some edits in here, but <laughs> you know Keaton's performance stunning, amazing, um, Wait, uh, girl, believable, <laughs> you know, truthful. And, Did Keaton and, play the bear for a second? I'm I'm just confused <laughs> what film we were with talking Birdman, about. Birdman, yeah, back to Birdman. But I, yeah, this year, and I haven't seen the Revenant. I yet. do really like the Mexican director Dynasty, the hot streak that's going on right now, and mm-hmm. I. I I think that's great, if for no other reason than it shows that the auteur isn't dead. Yeah, I, okay, I'll give you that. I always do a top 10, top 20 every year, and regularly none of the things in my top 10 or 20 are nominated for Oscars because there's lots of things that are done in other languages. Yep. And I'm a big watcher of foreign films. I do include some English-language films in my best of, but they invariably don't end up getting nominations. That brings me to what my point, which is that the Oscars put foreign films in a little ghetto that they call yep. the Foreign Language Film yep. Oscar. Mm-hmm. For that reason, I just completely don't even yeah. take them seriously as the prestigious institution that they pretend to be. Yeah, I think if they call themselves the Anglo-American Awards or the <laughs> Hollywood Awards, it yeah. would be fine. You know, that's yeah. what they are. They well. pretend to be like, oh, this is the arbiter of taste for the whole world and for all of cinema. And they're not. And they don't. And there's never been, unless you count uh, Slumdog Millionaire, which I think had some in Hindi in it. There'd never been a foreign language film that's won Best Picture. How and about The Artist? I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say The King's Speech. <laughs> so we were thinking on the same wavelength. But, um, well, do you advocate the idea of maybe breaking up best picture into best comedy, best fantasy, best drama? No, no, mm. no I don't do that. I, I don't know. think that's fair because yeah, has a comedy ever won since Annie Hall? I'm trying to think, but <laughs> no, you're right. They don't get, they don't win usually. I have to look at and it. not that I'm you know, Ar- a Ar- huge Argo. fan of Argo. Hollywood comedies. <laughs> <laughs> Titanic. Yeah. Titanic. All right, now you're just yeah. getting silly. <laughs> All right. The uh, I, I I'd like to just go back to the comment about I don't think the Academy masquerades as anything other than Hollywood-based, Hollywood-centric. Uh, you know, In contrast to their in, name. Yeah. In con- yeah, so it, it's, uh, you know, we, the other, other countries do have their own awards, and there are important film festivals that, that do uh, reward these films. I have seen two of the feature-length Best Foreign Language, Son of Saul and uh, Mustang, both great films. But they are definitely not Hollywood films, and the fact that they're going to be showcased uh, as in Hollywood with all the glitz and glamour and all that comes with Hollywood, I think it's good, and I think it encourages people who would not have seen those either of those films to go out and 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 you know catch them at the theater or rent them later. So, 
the, the fact that the center of movie making for the globe happens to be in Hollywood is is a lot of historical accident and, and, and chance, but also a lot of, uh, you know, knowing how to make an entertaining film that's going to cross uh, cultures, hmm. which isn't always good. I just, I love the Oscars because... Um, because you love films. I do. Because <laughs> I just love movies so much. movies. Um, no, I, I love the Oscars because it's the one time a year where I feel informed about something. And, you know, the other 11 <laughs> months a year, everybody's talking about sports. And I just, I don't, I, you know, I don't follow sports. And so I don't. And so it's really refreshing to have something all over the news that I actually am very knowledgeable about. That's kind of sad. No, I jump <laughs> on that bandwagon too because I I feel like ninety nine percent of what I have to hear about are things I don't care about, like <laughs> sports and you know hearing about politics, which I care a bit about. But you know th- this is the time where boy, it's in the news and great. The people are talking about films. Yeah. I mean, this is I believe one of the you know biggest problems with America is our lack of interest in the arts in general. Exactly. And you know, so yes, there's a price to pay. It's a popularity contest, and we're looking at the stars more than anyone else. But just mentioning a cinematographer is is like a breakthrough in a way. So yeah. So uh, you know, here's uh, to Laszlo Panaflex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also, I, I actually, I'm interested in the politics behind it too. Even though I don't necessarily agree with all the nominees and who ends up winning, usually, I actually usually don't agree with the Best Picture winner, but. I, there's something about the politics behind it that's really interesting to me. Like just the, you know, how Harvey Weinstein kind of changed everything when with his screeners and how he had this very simple theory of you need to get people to see the movie for them to vote for it. And I think that that, I, I don't know, some people would say that that's, that really... And nice, fact, and nice gift baskets don't yeah, hurt. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, $220,000 gift I baskets? Saw, yeah. That's. Yeah. I mean, well, this is interesting because at the at the when the Lofts um, aired the documentary shorts, they had one of the nominees that was actually there, which is very exciting to actually be like, wow, there's an Oscar nominee right in front of me. And I really think their film has a good shot at it. I think yeah. so too. Yeah. I, I I think that if it's it's either that or one of the other ones. Well, the the front runner is the uh, the the girl in the uh, river. Yes. And, yeah, and yeah. I think that that might actually that's gotten the most attention. But yeah. I really uh, I really thought that uh, Chow. Uh, had had elements that could, if people were to see it, it could it could put it into the winning category, which would be nice. Yeah, but I'm sorry, I distracted your your point. That the, oh the, no, having I just, her there. I, I just I thought it was exciting. You know, when you hear about the two hundred twenty thousand dollar gift basket, the, for my first thought was she's that girl who made the you know document that documentary short. She's going to get that two hundred twenty thousand dollar gift basket, and that's really exciting. I think. Unless she doesn't get, unless it's only for the presenters, and then that's just going to make me angry all over again. Yeah, it probably is. For the and then there's the show itself, which is the triumph of bad taste. I'm sorry. It's just, <laughs> I mean, I used to really enjoy watching it just to laugh at all the yeah. gaffes and the sometimes well, grotesque dresses and <laughs> stuff. But I've been a little angry lately because they've relegated, they've broken the continuity of Hollywood history by putting all the older people, the ones that are getting Lifetime Achievement Awards, older stars, in a separate show that we don't see. Yeah. Like, oh. And it December. used to be you'd have like a, an award like for Paul Newman or something, and he'd come out there and he'd get some love. 
you know, and now it's like that's all happening somewhere else because they're afraid that the kids don't care. So they're going to just show you Mark Wahlberg talking to a teddy bear or something on stage and or like some pointless <laughs> clip that yeah. they put together, a series of clips. It's the show has really gotten even worse because of it. Yeah. I just want to see a good old fashioned award show. Like I don't need I feel like they, they always complain about the length of the Oscars, but then they fill it with so much filler that has absolutely nothing to do with anything. It's, it's more like, hey, look, comedies. And then it'll show, like, you know, comedies throughout the years and right. just things that. Yeah, there used to be a much more um, retrospective feel to it. Yeah. And I remember first as a kid hearing about uh, Edith Head and seeing clips from Hitchcock films that got me really interested. Like, where, wow, where can I see these movies? You mm-hmm. know? Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I know what you mean by that. I was going to say, did you hear that this year they've shortened the acceptance speeches to less than a minute, but they're going to roll <laughs> a crawl yeah. at I mean, the bottom of really the that's really what we're watching for is for the acceptance speeches. I think it's insane that, yeah. they, do, that they think that I want to see somebody performing best song. Exactly. Who oh. cares? I mean, yeah. does anybody really remember songs from the movies anymore? It's stupid. Okay, uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but yes, I do. <laughs> only only because of the Oscars and really, really being angry that Celine Dion won for the Titanic. Oh, yes. When, oh, yes. when um, the, the guy from Goodwill Hunting. Uh, oh, Matt Damon? No, Elliot Smith. Oh, yeah. I remember Up there with his guitar. Yeah. Play, just Miss this misery. heartfelt, yeah, Miss Misery, beautiful performance, and and then and then you know it goes to it goes to the karaoke uh, <laughs> singer. Uh, I think one of the problems now is that they've they've multiplied the the, the awards season so that you have five, six, seven award shows. They have the Golden Globes. They have mm-hmm. this and that and the other. And it just yeah. becomes like sickening to watch. I, I, it's the, funny. Just, I, I feel like I couldn't get enough of either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so it disappointed if I, miss, if I miss either. Uh, and, yeah. and really wish they would just go on for like three or four more hours <laughs> than they do. Yeah. And I find it's funny. You guys are missing sort of the missing the, the, the mistakes that were there. And the and I like I like when they, I, I like when they uh, take a long time to thank everyone. I mean, yeah, it gets a little repetitive, but you know, there's lots of people to think it's a, it's a, it's it's a, you know, it's a, what do they what do they call it? You know, when people work together, um, collaboration, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> collaborative. It's a collaborative effort, art form, right? That's what they keep saying over and over, and and uh, and and so I really hate movie stars. In, <laughs> in wow, that was in, unexpected, yeah. <laughs> and their constant parade of uh, look perfect at them teeth. And, and yeah perfect teeth and and <laughs> and, and, and the, the again the media covers that's all anyone know who knows anything about uh, with Hollywood it's always the movie stars that, that, so you know the the chance when cinematographers get mentioned the chance when writers get mentioned this is you know we were t- uh, Pam, we were mentioning this earlier this is the idea of like this is the time when the other people get their shot Yes, we have to still look at the movie stars, and they're the ones <laughs> the cameras are on the whole time. But. Here's to you, Laszlo Panaflex. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I never get tired of that joke. Pre- that's, that's still pre- from the presented Simpsons. by John Travolta. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, he seems to have. He must have he says, blackmail photos on somebody because he gets invited every year. <laughs> right, and John. Well, because they love that flub. I mean, that got huge uh, action on social yeah. media, you know. Yeah. And then the follow-up where he did that weird thing to her face. <laughs> you know, that was that was more of it. But if it, if it was him interviewing, it would be like, and here's to Lolo Panafloxia. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll just while we have a chance.
chance, I also mentioned the, the uh, we're losing DPs, famous DPs this year. Like yeah. Crazy. yeah. A, lot of, yeah. a lot of celebrities, but a lot of guys from behind the camera. Yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah. Haskell Wexler. Love you, man. Oh, yeah. David Mamet uh, actually said that movies are a collaborative art was an incomplete sentence, that the full sentence was, he learned this when he went to work in Hollywood, was movies are a collaborative art. Bend over. <laughs> I think I work with Ben. <laughs> so, so one one cultural uh, moment or sort of event this year that I think was pretty momentous that we haven't really talked about yet is is the the incredible popularity of Trumbo with the under twelve set. All those <laughs> kids wearing Trumbo Halloween costumes, and they, you know there were those lines at Christmas for the Trumbo action figures. <laughs> Trumbo, Trumbo, Trumbo. I just hear that all the time when I'm going past schools. And I, I wonder if the Academy is taking that into account. Do they, do, you know, if they don't give it to Brian Cranston this year, they're really going to have a lot of very angry elementary school students on their hands. And, uh, uh, Brian, uh, the. the, <laughs> the the outrage uh, uh, at Brian Cranston not getting it is going to be a result, of course, of his Breaking Bad. Uh, it's a Breaking Bad Oscar if he wins it. Um, the movie interesting. is, a, is uh, interestingly enough, a biopic. Exactly. A biopic. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> and it's it is it's just it's it, it's another movie that that falls into it. Boy, that's pretty good. That's yeah. a pretty good movie. Yeah. But it felt very, very biopic. Almost TV, made for TV, it, but he did a great performance. But it, it didn't feel, you know, your performance is contained within the film, and uh, that that the performance is in. Which I is thought it was contained within the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I'm so sick of seeing kids though with the mustache and the bow tie and the glasses. It's just it's got McDonald's tie in too. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't go very far. The Happy though. Meal toys with with the Joe McCarthy targets yeah, on nice, the back. Nice. Yeah, it was it was all very very controversial. But don't films about the industry typically do well at the awards? Yes, yeah. so they love them. And everyone's going. I'm the only one who predicted uh, Shakespeare in Love winning because I knew it was a parable for Hollywood. And and, and 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 also it had Harvey huh. Weinstein's uh, uh, yeah it was push, but I was it, it yeah. was mostly the fact that everyone working in Hollywood likes to think that they're doing what Shakespeare did and creating against all odds and so they all saw themselves in that movie I mean that was part of the joke of the film itself but but uh, him seeing a therapist and uh, how it, it's so impossible to get these things made and it, it, but it works out in the end and, and I was like yep yeah, it's gonna win Best Picture because it, everyone in Hollywood is going to see themselves in that movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, but they deserve it because, boy, of all the people out there working, <laughs> well, they are the ones who get the least credit for anything. <laughs> Shakespeare and Love also, they're saying also one because going back to Harvey Weinstein and the screeners is because it looked better on a small screen. Like, because everyone was saying that <laughs> Saving Private Ryan That's probably should have won that year, but... Okay. Or at least out of the nominees. You think about won. what weak praise that is. Your film looks great on the small screen. <laughs> no, exactly. But it was you know, well done. It's, it's Saving Private Ryan lends itself to. I, you know, I, I'm gonna, I have to, I, I, I'm upset at myself for doing this, but boy, am I glad Saving Private Ryan did not win. <laughs> um, now, uh, again, Spielberg, Schindler's List has kept him from indulging in his usual indulgences because it was so serious. And Saving Private Ryan was almost serious enough, but it wasn't quite serious enough. So we still have the opening 
and the ending scene in the cemetery, which is yeah. ludicrous, and the, the the scene with the dog tags, where all the all the all the, these soldiers they look real sad walking by. Oh, we should stop doing looking through these dog tags because we're upsetting the soldiers. I mean, clearly Spielberg has never been in the military because <laughs> someone's looking sad uh, in the military. It, 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 you're going to get uh, mocked. And the lack of truth in those moments, um, the granddaughters of the, the old soldier looking concerned about grandpa. Does Spielberg, have, <laughs> has Spielberg never been around teenage girls in his life? Uh, they were, they, why are we here in this cemetery? Why, are, why aren't we in Paris shopping? But no, he's got them lined up from tallest to, to shortest, all looking very concerned towards, you know, oh, is grandpa okay? As if, you know, it's like, the, the, the lack of truth in that film. Yes, great moments, um, you know, but, but boy, I, you know, I, which is ridiculous because, of course, then Shakespeare in Love wins. But, but I, uh, I'm going to argue that Shakespeare in Love was, in a weird way, more truthful. All right, that's that silence. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're talking about things that are. I would have more. I've got more connection with Fritz Long than I do with the stuff you're talking about. Yes, I said Long. I know I did. Um, anyway, so I really want you to each take a turn to talk about a movie or a performance or an issue with the Academy Awards this year that we haven't yet discussed that you want to talk about. All right, Mad Max. Um, <clears throat> George Miller, I think, is a good chance for for getting the sympathy vote this year. Yep. Um, and uh, I think it's going to clean up, especially in the in the technical categories. Yep. And it's it is uh, somehow refreshing that a movie that isn't so serious is being taken seriously. Um, is it because of the box office? Well, uh, that helps. The uh, word of mouth was really good on that. Mm -hmm. it, and, and, and it held up. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's a good film. Um, you, you kind of find, uh, you know, ultimately refreshing that, okay, they're going to look at an action film and take it as, I mean, who's to say what's art and what's not and what's going to get the award because of the genre, it, it gets uh, ghettoized. And, and, and I think, you know, com we talk about comedies never rarely get the best picture because, you know, inherently they're not serious. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and the point. ones that end up being, you know, serious room, boy, that would be great. If Room does not win, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th I think that Brie Larson's pretty much a shoe, and I think she's definitely going to win the Best Actress. I I don't think Room might Room might not win much else other than that, though. I don't think that it's really the front runner in any other categories. I think Mad Max could possibly be a really interesting dark horse for Best Picture. Like I, this is what I find so exciting about this year is for the first time in years, I feel like I don't know what's going to win Best Picture. Mm -hmm. I think that there's, you know, Spotlight, The Big Short, and The Revenant all have really good chances. I, I feel like it's most likely going to be one of those three. But part of me, I don't know if it's just wishful thinking, I think that Mad Max could possibly come in and, and take it away, too. I hear, I hear it has a lot of support from the, the below-the-line members of the Academy, yeah. the real the technical crew, all yeah. really, really support this. And, and also the doofs, I think, are <laughs> into the movie. <laughs> the doof faction. <laughs> the doof faction. 
Um, well, I'm going to alienate myself from everybody here because I hated Mad Max. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I just hate those kind of movies. They're just all, like, noise <laughs> and, like, one damn thing after another, as far as I can tell. I don't care what it's about. It's I just didn't exactly. like it, you know. I don't like that kind of stuff, but that's just me. But yeah, that's fair. I think that something that Pam said earlier is very true, though, is that the, the screenwriting awards often go to the best pictures because I think the voters – are prejudiced in favor of the big money makers and the big names, but when it comes to actually voting quality, they sort of give the consolation prize of the screenwriting Oscar. Yep. And this year it might yep. be Spotlight or it might be The Big Short, I don't know. Uh, well, they're actually in separate categories because one of them's adapted right. and one of them's original. Right. So. so they might both win. Exactly. That's but, uh, both those are my picks for both. And didn't Adam McKay direct The Big Short? Is that right? Yes. That's That seems really surprising. I mean, Here's a guy who established his career making, you know, kind of gross-out comedies, mm-hmm. and and here he is being nominated for this. It's interesting. Well, the big the short has has a bit of dark humor to it. It's a serious movie because of the subject matter, but there are some really, you know, black comedy moments in it, and it is kind of one of those like if you're a pessimist or nihilist kind of, you'll really like this movie. <laughs> like it really is just kind of like, oh well, we're all you know, screwed. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, so I could tell. So That's the message I look for. Yeah, once once I saw the movie, I could I understand why he directed it, and I could totally see his kind of thumbprint on it. Okay. And another thing about the show is that they always like talk about oh the host, and they're going to get this host and that host, and the host always almost always fails because it's not the host's fault usually, although sometimes it is. It's because the nature of the show is such that you really can't do much other than just introduce the presenters. Yeah. The, and yeah. so you have this comedy bit at the beginning, and this year it's Chris Rock. He'll probably be pretty funny. Okay. But then, you know, he'll fade into the furniture eventually, and it'll be the disembodied voice saying, and now, welcome, uh, I think Meryl Streep. It's mm-hmm. hard to imagine that he's going to shy away from talking about the controversy. Oh, he yeah. will. It's, yeah. it's oh, right up his alley as a comedian. Do you think having him as host was a way to mitigate the damage or to do damage control? Mm-hmm. I think they I already think had it. Yeah, it was yeah. planned already. Anyway. Oh, yeah. But okay. I think it will do damage control, and I do think – He's he's this is going to be if anything's going to make this Oscar uh, performance worth watching our uh, awards the whole show is going to be his performance, you know. Should we talk about Anne Hathaway and what's his name? <laughs> James Franco. <laughs> that was <a> Franco. <laughs> <laughs> At least, boy, that would be you know add controversy on top of controversy. Two of the whitest people. I <laughs> <laughs> a, a great joke made on the Onion, uh, oh geez, a while ago, a couple of years ago, was that in the future. Um, to, to make it easier for kids to learn about art, uh, all art would be divided into Franco and non-Franco categories. <laughs> 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 Thanks for sharing your views and your uh, hopes and dreams about this year's Oscars. <laughs> um, I think that's been a lot of fun. And now I'd like to change a little bit by having us each talk about a film that we saw recently that made an impression on us, good or bad. What's an unforgettable recent film experience that you've had? I'm a sucker for these big, baggy monsters, these epics, that if they're done well. And the Portuguese director, Miguel Gomez, came out with Arabian Nights, which is actually a six-hour film divided into three two-hour films. Um, And he's taken the structure of the 1001 Nights and used it to tell different stories about Portugal, the people who are suffering under austerity after the crash, and he uses magical realism and uh, mythology and absurdist humor and sometimes stories that he's actually gotten out of the newspapers or he's researched himself. And it's an astounding piece of work. Um, 
just to give examples of some of the ideas, there's a, a rooster that goes on trial for crowing at the wrong times, and there's a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a long sequence where these miserable people in a housing project are all seen from the perspective of this dog who's always happy. It's a little tiny pet, yapper dog. And um, there's these real people in a slum who have developed this tradition of training finches in singing contests. So you have this very strange sense of humor, but there's also a darkness, a political sensibility involved in the film. And, you know, it takes a lot to sit through six hours. And luckily he divided into three, but still, you know, there's a commitment there. How did Um, you watch the film? I watched it in three separate uh, viewings, Mm -hmm. you know, so... Uh, that was the only way it was screened, but yeah. uh, it yeah, was really I, something. Either of you want to go next? Yeah, I, I did. I did recently see Son of Saul, and and uh, well, tell us a little bit about where that because I, I haven't heard of that film. Oh, okay, so Son of Saul is is a Hungarian film uh, uh, that that is covering the uh, Saunders commandos of of Auschwitz uh, and, and, and other concentration camps as well. The Jews that were forced to lead the other Jews into the showers and clean up after them, clean their bodies and dispose of bodies. And then they were, you know, they, they were basically forced to do this for a while and then systematically executed to keep the secret from getting out eventually. And it follows one one of them. In an, and basically in close-up, the entire movie or over his shoulder are, are sort of uh, very skillfully transitioning to his POVs just as showstoppery as... Uh, which isn't a word, but uh, as as you know, Birdman, but in a in a I think a much more in- integral part of the story of being inside this person's uh, experience of what it must have you know uh, the the idea of just hel- hopelessness and and being utterly alone. It, it, so it worked as part uh, you know integral part of the story. This style working with the storytelling that I was just really impressed with mm-hmm. that. And, uh, and, and, you know, dark story, but, but giving him a real simple task to accomplish in this, in this very sort of limited scope uh, storytelling method that really worked. He has a, there's a, a boy who, who had briefly survived the gassing and, and he's just determined to give him a proper burial and, and it does everything, you know, risking his life constantly to try to pull this off, this almost impossible task and, and it is it was very affecting and very very effective so I, i'm really impressed with it and you said that was nominated for in the in the foreign language it, category it's probably the front runner yeah. uh yeah. the the yeah. other one that might win is mustang um also a great film that i was able to see where's that from that is from it's a it's a, a turkey and in france co-production although set in turkey uh it's it's four sisters and and uh their sort of captivity uh, from their, the the culture that they live in there, and, and well, the sort of transition from freedom to captivity. They're at this age where they're allowed to live their own lives, and then uh, there's a perceived transgression by a couple of the older girls, and then they're sort of put in lockdown. and And it's it's really told primarily from one of the girls' points of view, and very very touching, very very effective storytelling. Um, but also simple, t- uh, you know, I always appreciate the simple storytelling, you know, I, I think very little CGI. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's hats off to practical effects. And Laszlo Panaflex. All right. <laughs> now, Pam, would you like to tell us? I recently saw the movie Dope, uh, which features uh, three kind of misfit teenagers um, in South Central L- L.A. And it's... A really interesting film. I can't. I, I'm afraid to kind of publicly condone this because there's a lot of nudity and drugs in it. But 
if you're right. a teenager that is writing <laughs> <if you're, laughs> that down on your list, yeah. Mark's making a note. <laughs> um, but if if you have a a mature teenager, I think it's actually a really great teen film. It, well, the, these three kids kind of uh, get something kind of placed in their in their lap in their arms that they don't really know what to do with and it's kind of using their smarts to kind of figure out a way out of the situation um it's kind of i'm going out on a limb here by saying it's kind of like a south central stand by me because there's it, it really is kind of about friendship and about like kind of their using their smarts to kind of get out of a certain situation and you know, looking back, you know, it's that transition between kind of being a teenager with your friends and becoming, you know, kind of possibly moving on to the next stage of your life. Um, but it's actually really funny, too. Like, there, it, it's supposed to be serious subject matter, but the way it's directed, it's really, it really floats the line of comedy and drama. And it's, for me, it was just, it was so fresh. Like, you know, the main character loves 90s hip-hop and he has like a flat top and he just you know he wants to get into harvard but in it but it doesn't you know it's not this it doesn't show him you know struggling through going to a bad school and like you know the cliche kind of you know sto way you could go with that story and i just it was very fresh and you can use that in many fresh and in, in several sense of the words it's i enjoyed it a lot. I've heard good things about it in, in, in your description. I, it, it, it makes me even more interested in seeing it. So, yeah. intriguing. That was good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll um, go for the nudity and the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> go for the nudity and the drugs. Stay for the uplifting story of escaping the poverty of South Central. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the 60s for my pick this week and a film that a lot of people probably heard the title of, but not many people I bet have actually watched. And it's called. Um, the Beast of Yucca Flats. And it stars the Swedish wrestler Tor Johnson, best known for his collaborations with Ed Wood, or for appearing in Ed Wood movies, I guess I could say. This is a film that's often mistaken for an Ed Wood film, which tells you something about it. Uh, it's set in, in Yucca Flats, Nevada, a nuclear test. Tor Johnson plays a Swedish scientist, the world's <laughs> foremost expert on nuclear fission. <laughs> who is bombarded by radiation, which turns him into a kind of lumpy-faced monster. And he spends <laughs> the rest of the about 55 minutes of screen time, because it's a very short film, uh, wandering around the desert, encountering various people. He's not malevolent. He's, he's not really misunderstood, because it's Tor Johnson. He's not even really acting. So he does murder a couple of people, and he scares some kids bad enough that they fall off a cliff and things like that. But it's... It's really, he's just, he's, he's gone beyond life. And what makes the film interesting is because of the low budget, there was no dialogue shot on set. There was no onset sound. So all of the dialogue is flown in later by other actors, and it's sporadic. It's mostly a narrated film. And this is a style of film that was really big in the 50s and 60s with low budget movies. Uh, but eventually it got to a point where that kind of thing was no longer really viable. It's hard to think of a recent example of a film that's had to use this production technique. But what you end up with, with sound from the stock music library, the outdoor black and white photography of Yucca Flats, Nevada, the, well, like I say, sort of random and sporadic bits of acting in the film, I would actually call it a tone poem about loneliness. <laughs> I saw it on TV late at night as a kid with my dad, 
and we both enjoyed it and didn't we didn't know you weren't really supposed to like this kind of movie <laughs> and i'd always wanted to see it again and so i i got the dvd and uh, i was i was really charmed by the otherworldliness of it the strangeness of it and the emptiness of it it's almost a little bit like negative space in sculpture mm. it's it's a negative space film and no one could star in it and pull it off better than Tor Johnson. <laughs> so The Beast of Yucca Flats is my outstanding film experience of the month, a uh, week or whatever. Bravo. Yeah. Thank you. Very nice. <laughs> Moving up to the top of my list. We're going to have to see that. <laughs> we'll have a, we can have a viewing party. That's right. <laughs> okay. It's that then dope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>